My name is Scott Challoner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cool winter morning here in the capital and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add a little bit of brightness to affairs is Lawrence Connersby, founder and owner of Wharf Distillery, Northamptonshire's only grain-to-glass distillery and England's smallest whiskey distillery in fact as well. Uh, Lawrence, welcome to the show and pleasure having you with us this morning. Yeah, good morning, good morning, Scott. Yes, yeah, thanks for inviting us. It's uh, great to be on the show. Yeah, it's fantastic having you with us as well, Lawrence. Now, I've talked a bit about sort of your current business, Wharf Distillery, there. Um, obviously, like I say, a couple of firsts there, the only grain-to-glass distillery in the county of Northamptonshire, England's smallest whiskey distillery as well. Um, but that's not the only sort of um, activity you've had in the uh, the sector, is it? You've got sort of quite an established history in uh, sort of beverages, haven't you? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, our relationship with alcohol, if you like, started uh, back in the, in the early 90s when I made cider as a, as a student, which uh, turned into a little bit of a side hustle uh, and we kind of ran it commercially for a few years. Um, then in the intervening period of the next 15 years or so, I uh, got into the world of commerce um, and then found myself in Milton Keynes in the kind of 2000s. Uh, and in 2009, started making cider again from waste apples strewn around Milton Keynes and South North Hants. And uh, it, it kind of went a bit crazy from there, really, yes. And now we find ourselves running a distillery in Northamptonshire. And sort of having built yourself up from that, obviously starting a business as a student, as you say, if you were to actually sort of give some advice to somebody who is sort of maybe a teenager, maybe a student who has that sort of entrepreneurial mindset themselves, um, what advice would you sort of give them to actually get them on the road to success? Just because a lot of our viewers do tend to be of that stock, let's say. Yeah, I think the main thing is, is, is not to hesitate. Is if you, if you think it's a good idea and you want to go for it, then then, then just, just do it. You know, I mean, something like cider making is actually a fairly low risk, uh, you know, low capital outlay kind of activity. Um, and, you know, we actually, we actually still run courses where we teach people how to make cider on a very low budget. So, so it's actually something that's very accessible. And, of course, the great thing about England is that there's an abundance of fruit trees uh, in the hedgerows and on abandoned orchards where there's fruit just sitting there going to waste. So, um, so I say you know, get out there and do it, but also make sure you do actually do it properly. So, so make sure you do uh, get the relevant licenses uh, to do it. Um, but then it could be a great little way as a student. It was a great way of, of raising a bit of extra extra cash. Yeah, it's an industry with a great amount of opportunity, isn't it? I think it's fair to uh, to say for sure. Um, and no matter, of yeah. course, how successful you are or have been as a business person over the last sort of decades or however long you've been in the industry, I suppose the buzzword on everybody's lips in all sectors across the last two years has been unprecedented, hasn't it, with sort of the scale of the COVID-19 challenge and the pandemic that we faced. Um, it would be remiss of me, of course, not to touch on how that's affected your business as well, Lawrence. Um, sort of how has it been for you sort of coping through this over the last couple of years so far? Well, I think, I mean, overall, we've come out of it in a, in a fairly good position. But I think it's fair to say that as most businesses, when it when it struck kind of in early 2020, it was a bit of an unknown quantity. And I think the you know, I really knew what was going to happen or where it was going. And what, and what we saw is that there seemed to be two approaches to similar businesses to us. Uh, one was to just shut down the doors. And the other one was to say, OK, well, what can we do just to, to, keep, to keep the cash flowing? And I think that's the, the 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 approach that we adopted was well what what can we do? Um, I think and very early on we recognised that you know 
we, we had the one of the key ingredients for making hand sanitizer. Um, so it was a, it was a fairly swift um, and easy uh, pivot, if you like, to to divert all our ethanol supplies from making bin and other products to to making hand sanitizer. Absolutely fantastic. So you were one of those businesses sort of early doors in the pandemic that sort of directed all of your activities towards sort of helping the effort. And as we look back to those early months, I mean, it was quite remarkable that British industry was able to rally together to do that, to sort of make hand sanitizer, to make PP that was needed on the front line. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. I say for us, it was, it was, it was just, we were just fortunate that we, we had the, had the ingredients um, and you know, obviously the demand was, was, was huge. Um, and I think for us, the key thing was, I think it was two key elements really for us. One was that uh, it brought a bit of cash in through the door uh, and it enabled us to support, you know, the, the, the smaller charities and hospices, which otherwise were, I would say, being overlooked, but kind of obviously weren't first in the queue um, for, for getting kind of support. And um, so it was nice to be in that position to do something. And, and it did, you know, although, as I keep saying to people, kind of people say, you must have made a fortune making sanitizer. You know, over over lockdown, but the reality was is that one liter of sanitizer, uh, you know, we were selling for for ten pound, but that one liter of sanitizer would have made three bottles of gin, which would have made a lot more money mm. for us uh, as a business. So so it wasn't uh, it wasn't as you know kind of the silver lining that people think it was, but actually it was just it was great for cash flow. It was great to be able to support our local community, and at the same time, it also amazingly kind of raised awareness of our. Um, our existence in the locality as well. You know, a lot of people who didn't realise there was a distillery on their doorstep, uh, you know, discovered us through searching for hand sanitizer. Yeah, it's reaping the rewards in the long term, isn't it? For sort of doing your part when sort of the community, when the country needs it the most, isn't it? I guess it almost felt like a bit of a national duty, didn't it, for you? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think uh, you know, it was amazing when I, when I see you know other businesses that chose to to, to shut down um, and. Um, well, it was it was like I think kind of you know psychologically as well. It was it was it was great to be feeling you were doing something. A lot of people I think felt during lockdown that uh, they didn't feel they could there was anything for them to do or contribute. Um, you know, and which was true if you if you're locked in your house and you're told you can't go into work or or whatever. So for us, um, it, it was just nice to be able to feel that we were doing something that was actually going to make a difference. Mm. Um, you know, and contribute. And I suppose giving yourself that sense of purpose and keeping the company busy as well, that would have really helped in maintaining morale at a time when for a lot of people, they may have been sort of sat at home, sort of devoid of sort of any ideas what to do other than maybe go for a walk when that was all that was allowed um, at the time, really. And we've sort of heard a lot about how the pandemic sort of all the way through has affected mental health in various different ways. So I suppose from a business leader's perspective, you've obviously got to take a lead in sort of keeping morale high, making sure that everybody is in the right headspace and obviously making sure that everybody has something to do, giving yourselves that renewed sense of purpose. That is something that probably helped quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, we are, we are you know, a very small distillery in, in uh, Northamptonshire, but we, you know, we have a few part-time staff um, and it was, it was nice for them to know that actually they did have a job. You know, we were going to keep, keep things going. Um, you know, the, the beauty of, we were actually on a split location, which meant that we only really had Kind of a couple of no more than a couple of people at each site, so there was it was a, it was a relatively safe working environment. You know, distilleries, um, you know, well, it, and our distillery is not a warm place to work, so lots of fresh air. So, so I think they felt safe. They felt that they were they had a purpose, um, and obviously, you know, importantly, it was it was bringing money in for them at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, do you think that 
any sort of changes that have come about during the pandemic, say, for example, that sort of making sanitizer as well as sort of your alcohol products. Um, is that going to be something that you think is going to remain in the long term? Will there always sort of be a line for that within the business or is your focus sort of just gone back to the status quo now? Yeah, I think, that, I mean, all honesty, kind of making hand sanitizer, I say, is not, is not a core activity for us. It was, it was a nice thing to be able to do at the time. But the reality now is that the you know, the big players who make sanitizer as a day job don't now have a, a, have a problem, you know, sourcing the base ethanol. Uh, so so really, there's huge competition now to supply, and we we can we can't compete in terms of price. But what we have found though is that there are a few people actually who, who actually like the type of sanitizer we were making. You know, there were rules around you know what you know, how distilleries could make sanitizer. They're basically following the World Health Organization formulation. Which typically is not something you see on the high street in the UK. You know, typically, we, we always have these gels on the high street, whereas what we had to make was was a very liquid kind of form. Uh, and we find that we've got a few customers, both commercial uh, and and private individuals, who who like that and still come to us for that. So, so we see no reason to stop making it. But certainly, it's it's gone to be in a very minor part of the operation. Yeah, I certainly understand uh, where you're coming from from that perspective. And obviously, reflecting back on the uh, the pandemic so far, I know that we're still very much in the thick of it, so we can't look back and consider it as done, dusted, and we're out of the other side. But is there anything you say that you've actually learned from this experience of, let's call it, crisis management? Um, like I said, I think, yeah, as a, as a small company, I think... Uh, I, I just we didn't have quite the same pressure as large organisations with with, you know, with larger numbers of, of staff, mm. but um, but I think the key thing is is obviously about um, is that making sure that you your your business is set up to be very agile, you know, kind of um, you know, so, so you can have these have these avenues of switching to 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 different uh, you know products or or different avenues that, that, that kind of maybe not di- your direct line of business, but are things you can do. So so it made us think more out the box, I think. And it made us to be a little bit less rigid in terms of perhaps where we were, the direction we were going in, in terms of, uh, you know, products or channels to market, uh, elements like that. So so I guess we've, we've learned to spread our risk a lot more. Um, you know, quite a few businesses that, that uh, similar small distilleries uh, to us uh, had previously focus very much on the on the wholesale or, or b2b sector and of course you yeah, know the b2b sector for alcohol is generally hospitality which obviously got wiped out mm. during lockdown um i think we were already quite fortunate in terms of you know most of our channels to market were direct to consumer uh, and 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 b2b in terms of making products for other businesses so we weren't we didn't have a huge um kind of hospitality customer base but um but that had been something we've been considering, and I think the result of the pandemic has meant that we, you know, we think it's the right thing to do is, is to spread the risk and to, to make sure we've got lots of different routes to market, and we're not dependent, uh, yeah, upon any one of those for survival. Exactly right. It's making sure that essentially you've not got all of your eggs in one basket, isn't it? And that is sort of a sensible thing to do as a small business like yourselves. And again, just thinking about anybody tuning in who sort of may have that big idea of their own, spreading the risk, making sure that you've got lots of different routes into market. It's one of the best things that you can do, isn't it? Absolutely. We have you know, quite a few of our customers kind of you know, kind of very, very keen to kind of get into the supermarkets, for example, which is a very difficult space to get into, particularly as a small producer. But yeah, we've always been very adverse to to that approach because 
you know, it, it's, you could be dropped as quickly as you can be taken on board. So, so that's a very high risk strategy in, in our view as, as a very small kind of, uh, you know, distillery. So, so yeah, it's, it's just, as, as you say, keep your options open, spread the risk, uh, and don't be too dependent upon any one or two customers. Uh, exactly right. Sound advice indeed, I think I must say. And uh, just because, of course, everybody looks to sort of us as sort of business leaders for inspiration and look at our successes. Um, I know, of course, you started out your business when you were quite young and it's ended up becoming incredibly uh, successful and sort of changed over the years. And you've worked with several different businesses, Lawrence. But uh, if you sort of had to sort of look at anybody and call them sort of the inspiration behind sort of what you've accomplished are there any figures or are there any experiences that you've had that you think maybe sort of really helped you along the journey that you've had yeah i think it's just the, the classic of of making mis- <clears throat> making mistakes along the way and learning from them um you know uh, so I, I think you know for example we had a bad experience uh, in our early days when we were trying to convert some of our cider into apple brandy which is going to be our first kind of you know spirit drink on the market and uh, yeah, I remember you know, feeling a little bit burned by that experience um, but having said that that then led us to say well okay well let's um, well why do we do it ourselves you know why do we actually get our own licenses to distill and make the products ourselves and and um, yeah and there's been we've had quite a few I've, well, I've had quite a few experiences like that over the years and I say the key thing is to to take that step back and and the initial response is to be a little bit hurt and maybe embarrassed by the fact of being being duped or or whatever, but but actually they're all great learning experiences. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's absolutely true. And, and I think uh, you know taking that step back and just constantly reviewing where you are, you know, not to assume that that just because things are going along well, there isn't something around the corner that could uh, could catch you off guard. Yeah, another example of that being in, in two thousand nine when we we restarted making the cider in Milton Keynes is we were the only cider maker for probably 40 miles. Um, and then moving on to 2017, we, we, got, um, <laughs> we got displaced from our location on the, uh, on the, the, the Grand Union Canal to make way for luxury housing. So we found ourselves in a new location across the border in Northamptonshire. And, um, and just something made us take a step back. I say it wasn't, at the time, it wasn't a conscious decision to take a step back, but I think it was probably partly driven by space. And we were trying to think, well, how are we going to fit everything into press the apples and to make the, the to distill the spirits particularly when the busiest time for spirits is is the end of the year and the busiest time for making cider is also kind of october november december um and at that time we were still a small team of, of, of two or three um but taking a step back we suddenly saw that that there was probably now 15 cider makers within 20 miles uh, and interestingly enough the traditional cider market was was slightly on the decline so it kind of was like it was a bit of a, um, uh, an eye opener, a bit of a awakener, uh, because we thought, well, well, why are we? And making cider is hard work. Don't get me wrong; it's a, it's a very physical activity. Um, and uh, I'm not getting any younger. And it was like, well, the obvious thing to do was, well, let's not let's stop making cider. Yeah, you know, it seemed like a bit of a, a rash decision, but actually, it's the best decision we made. We were the only um, copper pot distillery in Northamptonshire. There were 15 other cider makers, all fighting for a shrinking market. Um, so it was almost like a light bulb moment, um, but it mm-hmm. but it just came from taking that step back and going like, okay, well, where where are we? What is around the corner? What could catch us off guard? And and being brave enough to to take a decision to change direction. I think you have to acknowledge, don't you, um, with sort of that story that you told there, that sort of 
setbacks are always going to be part and parcel of the game, aren't they? I mean, there's always going to be sort of a little sort of a punch in the gut around the corner, but maybe you don't sort of know how big the corner is, as it were. And um, you, you do have to, when you do have those setbacks, sort of take that step back, take the opportunity to sort of learn from them and then use that to improve. It's not viewing failure as terminal. It's about sort of either winning or learning from your experiences and taking that lesson forward, isn't it? And that's a prime example that you just mentioned there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the I think I'm probably quite fortunate. In my lifetime, I've had about three three redundancies, um, and I've always taken them as to be as opportunities to review where I am in my if you like work career and and in life. And uh, yeah, and that, that's because I actually quite revel in change. Yeah, you know, and you know, a, lot, a lot of people are kind of very change adverse. They don't like change. It brings uncertainty uh, and risk and other things. But but I think. I'm quite fortunate in that I quite relish change. It's, it's nice. It makes me think. It makes me review where I am. Uh, and, and from that, you know, such a word, I've only had positive outcomes. Um, another example of that probably being when we, when we were making cider down by the Grand Union Canal and, and suddenly a few more cider making started appearing in the locality. Um, you know, clearly, we couldn't stop them making cider. But what we could do is we could press their apples for them. Because we've been going that little bit longer, we had bigger kit, which is more efficient. Uh, cost of, of big cider making kit is actually quite expensive. So, so we, we turned that into an opportunity to, to to make some money. It's a small world. There's no point in having enemies. So let's, uh, uh, you know, let's bring these people in and and we help them, and in return, it helps us. Exactly right. And in business, you've, like I say, already gone through periods of substantial change locally. We're living through a time of substantial change now with the pandemic, of course. And as we sort of enter this new year and look, hopefully optimistically, to the future and at a period where all being well will come out of the acute phase of this pandemic, um, what are sort of your ambitions for Wharf Distillery over the, uh, the next year, Lawrence? And indeed, what are you hoping to have achieved by maybe this time next year as we enter 2023? Yeah, well, we've got a very busy uh, time ahead. As I said, we, we, we've come out of um, the pandemic in a, in a fairly good position. Um, and I think that's probably partly been driven by that initial change, that pivot to hand sanitizer to maintain our presence and visibility. Um, I think another great thing that came out of the pandemic was the, the fact that people seem to become more aware of, of smaller business, smaller producers in their locality. Um, and that seems to have been maintained. Uh, over the last couple of years, and and because we say a big part of our business is actually contract distilling, so we make products for you know forty, fifty other brands, um, and again they're they're all generally quite small businesses. So, uh, and they've all seen a, a massive kind of increase in in kind of interest in in small artisan you know craft brands of products. So so rather than kind of I guess you know sit back and to see how things have happened, we've tried to drive that forward. Um, and uh, you know, part of that drive has meant uh, buying uh, a new property. So, so we've actually bought our own distillery rather than renting. So we, we figured that kind of you know, in, the, in the long term, it made more sense to own the property than rent it. So a bit of a bold step, but our view is is that moving to this new property is going to give us increased space and capacity to grow the business. Um, and at the same time, we thought, well, let's let's create a visitor attraction as well. So we're we're going to be uh, at the early stage of this year, we're going to be doing a bit of renovation work um, and uh, creating a little visitor centre uh, so we can do tours. Uh, we were lucky that the new venue is in the centre of, of a small market town, so we should attract some some locals with our, our distillery shop. Um, 
and we're also taking on um, kind of new staff as well. So, so I think our approach has been to to, to really try and capitalise on on this uh, wave of, of new interest into into small business um, and try and capitalise on that. So, um, yeah, so we're we're just kind of really trying to focus on growing our brand in Northamptonshire and beyond. Um, continue with our contract customers, increase our capabilities for our contract customers. We're invested in bigger bottling lines, uh, et cetera. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so, you know, but again, but taking, taking a, a I guess, a, a manage, managing the risk. So we're not putting all, again, we're not putting everything into this, but we're, we feel that actually investing in our business is the right direction to go in. And it's absolutely amazing, isn't it, that we can even talk about that G word growth considering the uh, the couple of years that we've had. And it's absolutely fantastic that the business is looking to expand and develop in such a way and fantastic move to, of course, move into your own property. So it sounds like really, really exciting times for the uh, this distillery as well. And you know what, Lawrence, actually, I think it would be fantastic if at some point in this next 12 months, we could even have you back on the show with us and hopefully have a chance to talk about just how some of that vision is really starting to be borne out successfully. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to come back. I'll say, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that we're England's smallest uh, whiskey distillery. I'm not sure if we can quite claim to still hold that mantle as, mm. as the English whiskey uh, sector is, is is growing massively. Uh, and what makes it a little bit different is there's lots of very small producers uh, of whiskey popping up. You know, it seems to be that the whiskey production is becoming more accessible to small distilleries. Uh, you take, for example, the largest English whiskey distillery is still at the bottom end of the scale in terms of size to all the Scottish distilleries. So, um, so it's quite an exciting time for English whiskey. And, and you know, I say we're we're planning to lay down lots more spirit uh, over the next couple of years as well. So, so yes, yeah, so it'd be great to come back and and uh, sort of tell you how that's developing. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, for anybody looking to, uh, to of course, uh, buy a bottle of your, your product, uh, you say that you've sort of branched out um, online now, haven't you? And you're sort of selling it uh, straight to uh, to consumer through uh, the Wharf Distillery website, wharfdistillery.co.uk. Is that the correct one? That's it. That's correct. That's the one. Yep, yeah, fantastic. So anybody tuning in who may be interested in sampling the product, do please go and visit the uh, the site, of course. Uh, Lawrence, uh, I've got to say again, it's been a real, real pleasure having you join us on the, uh, the programme uh, this morning. And uh, do, of course, take care and stay safe with everything still going on in the world as well. Great. Thanks very much, Scott. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. And to all tuning in today, I hope that you've enjoyed the interview with Lawrence Connorsby from Wharf Distillery today. And if you do feel that you have your own story of success and of innovation from within your own business to share with us here at the Leaders Council, then why don't you apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, take care and goodbye.